We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Um, it really is a pleasure worshipping with you. Um, I love this community. I love the, the special thing, the holy thing that it is to be able to sing God's praises on a week-to-week basis with a group of people that you get to call family and community, Um, which I think I often take for granted, but that is an incredibly special thing, isn't it? Um, So thank you for being, not for being here, but more than that, isn't it? Um, During worship, I got a bit of an inkling um, that somebody, hello, might be watching today um, that is a prospective student for Loughborough. And you might be watching this in September or something like that, or now live, I don't know. Um, But just to say that God really wants to meet with you today and you haven't stumbled across this link by accident or whoever sent you this link to watch um, isn't just being annoying, but actually, yeah, God wants to speak to you today. Um, So welcome, if that is you. Might not be anybody, but that's fun, isn't it? Let's see what happens there. Um, Hello, yeah, today I'm speaking on um, traditions at the table. Um, I'm going to split it up in a bit of a two-parter, if that's all right. You don't really have a choice, but that's what I'm going to do. Part one, I'm going to sort of look at habits around the table, good and bad habits, and a little bit of, okay, how do we set new traditions in place for us as a community around our tables, practices, habits, that we can do um, that make our table a real place of encounter, a real place of celebration, a real place of authenticity, um, generosity at the table, all all the sort of things. How do we actually create that to to be, basically, with some healthy habits? And then part two, um, I'm going to be looking at communion, which is like the tradition, isn't it, at the table? So... Um, that's how I'm going to split things up. Um, so we'll get, we'll get, we'll get into it. I don't do well in heat, so (laughs) if I sort of seem a bit like away with the fairies, I might be, but I think it's, it's not in a bad place. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been really excited for this series. I don't I might have said it already, um, but I'm really excited. We had a great time at our small group um, on Wednesday, and we were sort of just sharing a little bit of our hopes for this series, really. And there was really, I guess, like excitement of like, ooh, this is... I guess we've just had the Justice series, which was like uber-challenging <laughs> and a bit like, oh, flipping heck, injustice. It's really important, and we need to grapple with it and continue to grapple with it. We haven't ticked that box, but like we continue to do it with this series as well. But I don't know, maybe this series of At The Table is a bit more, um, well, on the face of it, on the surface, seems a bit like, oh, great. It's like eating together and having fun and like laughing and spending time with mates. And that's pretty fun, isn't it? Which I quite like fun and enjoyment. So I'm really excited for the series, but I think there is like that undercurrent Um, this challenge that sort of walks side by side with this excitement and sort of comfort and enjoyment. And there's this challenge of like, 
anybody can enjoy company around the table, but what does it look like for us to host the presence of God, to be able to do as Jesus did and welcome others who aren't normally around our table? So um, I feel like it's a bit of a, a comfy sofa, but have you ever been to those like 4D cinemas where they like blow stuff at your face and at your ankles and every now and again it's a bit like and it's like I think this is going to be a great series and really enjoyable but every now and again it's going to be like oh flipping heck yeah the Jesus way that's tough but the best way um so today's passage we're going to be looking at Luke 22 verses 7 to 23 if you got your bibles with you um could you open it up to that please Luke 22 verses 7 23. I'm a big believer in the paper Bible, um, and I think I've mentioned this a lot, but do if you have a paper Bible, bring it to church, because I think it's the best place to sort of read the Bible, is at church. Um, and I think there is something, I might be making this up, but I, that's okay, because it, it helps my point, <laughs> which is what things are all about, isn't it? Um <laughs> I think there's something about when you read off paper, it helps you memorise. Is that right? Great. So I'm not making it up. So, I mean, I'm not great at, like, memorising big passages of Scripture or whatever like that, but um, if you want to learn the Bible, read from the paper, I believe, as in the paper Bible, not the papers. (laughs) Right, let's actually open up Scripture, shall we? Uh, it's Luke 22, <coughs> 7 to 23. So, are we all with me? <clears throat> then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with my is sorry, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of God, the Son of Man, sorry, will go as it has been decreed. 
but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And I'm actually going to stop there. Sorry, I gave too many verses. Oh, no, I didn't. No, that's sort on, isn't it? Thank you. So keep that open because we'll be jumping in and out of that passage as we go on. Um, So, traditions, that's the title of this talk. Traditions, they're rhythms of life that remind us of past, present, and future events. They may celebrate joy, share sorrow, or simply mark a moment. I did steal that from David Scarborough. Um, Creating regular moments of celebration around the table can form our habits and our lifestyles and memories. And... um, As soon as I got this title, I was just thinking about my table growing up and the sort of Sadler's traditions of around the table. We were one of those families who would eat around the table um, most nights. And there was always a bit of a, I don't know, like a, what do they call it in American football, like a playbook or whatever. And there'd always be these things, like rituals, these little habits, traditions. Some of them were just natural, some of them were deliberate. And, I mean, it would all begin with mum shouting, tea's ready! And then there'd be this, like, little moment of silence where everybody's stopped whatever they're doing. You know, like dance mats happening upstairs and it suddenly stops. Dad's on the TV and it suddenly stops. And there's this, like, half second of pause. And they're just an absolute rush to the table. Um... You get to the table, things get served. We were a grace-praying family, so we said grace um, every meal mealtime. Um, we often sang it because that's the sort of type of family we are, I guess. Um, but we sang this amazing um, old Methodist hymn from the 18th century. Um, I don't know if I... Well, I'm not off by heart. I won't sing it, but it's like, okay, I will sing it. Go on, then. <laughs> So we'd sing it of, be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. Thy creatures bless and grant that we may feast in paradise with thee. Amen. Wow. I wasn't planning on singing that, but it does have a good ring to it. So we'd always say grace, or we had one of those little, did anybody else have those like grace dice? Those like blocks, and you'd roll it and pray it. Like, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for our daily bread, amen. That sort of, yeah. So we'd do that. Um, We'd have little moments around the table where one of my parents would sort of ask how everybody's days have been. It wasn't maybe a mad tradition, but it was just there naturally, I guess. It was a moment, our table was a moment of connecting and finding out what makes people tick, what what do people enjoy about their days, what brings a bit of upset, or... We really connected at the table. That's That was an amazing place for us as the, as the Sadler family. Um, if we were with my nana, she'd always straight away say, well, that shut us up. After we'd all take that first bite and it would suddenly become silent. My grandpa, on my other side, says he's never known a louder family around a table than our family. I think there's maybe some people in the room that would like, like to contest that. But we're quite a rowdy bunch when it comes to the table. 
And um, there'd always be, Dad would always finish the meal early and I would say, like, what's for pudding? Straight away. And it would happen every single time and it'd always get a cheap laugh and like, oh, what's he like? So we had these little, like, traditions, maybe is a bit of a grand word for them, but little habits and little um, practices um, around our, our table. And, um, yeah, some of them were special, some of them weren't particularly, but it created a bit of a, um, a spectacle. It meant that the table was something that was to be respected, to be set aside for, to sort of bring yourself to, whether that was your worst or your best. Um, so there's a few of our traditions. Um, I need a bit of water, so would you turn to the person next to you and just share maybe some little traditions, little habits, little quirks about your table or tables that you've experienced, that you've enjoyed or can remember. Have a minute to discuss that with this person next to you. Okay. Um, that's great. Has everybody had a chance to share? Can, can a few people just shout some out? I'm quite intrigued. What, what are some of the traditions, some of the habits around tables that people have experienced? I also thought it was a Wow. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Anybody else got anything? Any more? Say that again, Nat. Say that again. Sat in the same seats. Hands up who had like a seating plan. Wow, that is so many, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Based in psychology, lovely stuff. 
Every day. Every day. Go on, Dad. <laughs> um, any others? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, go on, Dan. Say that again. Oh, wow. What's it? Jemima. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jemima, go on. Oh, that's a risky game to play. I mean, yeah, good feedback system, I guess. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's loads of them. Some of them we might not even notice just because they may be ingrained or we're just so used to. And um, I guess, like, the purpose of that is just to demonstrate, really, that our tables are places that those sort of things can really happen and happen quite easily. I think Rach touched on it um, last week around, like, encounter at the table. This can actually be something that happens. It's not like a real battle to do but we just need to implement, and that actually might come quite easy for us. Um, a few other traditions and little habits that I've seen and experienced recently, we were um, over at some friends in Wales, and they, they basically just went around and asked, the highlight of the day, was it? Really simple, highlight of the day. The whole family got involved, you know, parents and kids, and then everybody would listen or try and listen and pass it on. Something dead simple, and it might sound like, oh, that's so, like, structured. But everybody gets to share, everybody gets to listen, um, and you learn a bit about each other. It's one of the... It's, it might not feel like particularly grand and holy, but it's an incredible way of connecting with each other's hearts at our tables. Um, lollipop sticks, I've got... It's my brother, actually, he has a, a tub of lollipop sticks in the middle of his table. And every time they eat, they take one out and it's got a name of somebody. And they'll pray for them before eating, which is lovely, isn't it? But that practice of like, okay, we're going to... The table is a place that we can intercede for people. The table can become a place where we cover people in prayer um, and petition and call out for God to move in people's lives just over a meal. I love how simple it is. And it doesn't have to be like an hour worth of like prayer meeting but that regular practice of, no, we're going to do this, a bit of a rhythm, a bit of a discipline. And um, I love it. And the heart of these traditions and these habits or practices at our table, and it isn't to become like religious with them or turn our meals into these like big grand ceremonies, um, but to transfer that time at the table into those purposeful moments to remember God bring him to mind and thank him and to be able to love others with that with it and traditions like there's no point doing traditions for the sake of it they must like enhance and expand our heart and love for Christ and not become a replacement um, because when tradition we do tradition for tradition's sake it becomes arresting it can that tradition can then become an idol. Um, Jesus spoke about that, didn't he? I'm, I'm not, I haven't got enough time to go into that detail, but he talks on tradition with the Jewish leaders. Um, but tradition with purpose, habits with purpose, practices with purpose, and that are grounded, are fruitful. 
and um, things that should remind us of God's goodness. Uh, we often think of like, you know, spiritual disciplines. Probably just saying that word brings up things like prayer, scripture, worship, fasting. And um, we don't always think about hospitality in that sense of a, a spiritual discipline. It's something that we must regularly practice that our faith isn't just something that we do on a Sunday or something that is up here and a thought and a theory, but and actually at work. So we pray, we read scripture, we worship, we fast. Why not hospitality? Why not hosting? Why not eating together? Um, some people might say, well, that is a practice. Our small group's called the New Monastic Community, which is a very grand name. Um, but essentially, monastic communities like monks, so like new monks, um, we can talk about it afterwards if you want more details. But um, that's a real practice in that, a spiritual practice of hospitality and eating together. It's not just a thing that happens to sustain us, to give us calories for the day, but a moment to meet with God as a practice. And that's fun, isn't it? I always think like spiritual disciplines always seem like quite boring and like, oh, flipping out their hard work and... She's like, how are your spiritual disciplines doing? Oh, yeah, not great. I've not fasted in ages or I'm actually struggling with the Bible. How is your spiritual disciplines doing? Yeah, great. I'm meeting God at the dinner table because I'm inviting my friends over and we're chatting and we're connecting on a real deep level. Um, so, yeah, they're good, thanks. How about you? I like that. Why not? So, that, that, that's a bit of part one, basically. It's very simple. But what can we do? What can we outwork at our tables? And I guess, like, if you don't have a table, not all of us might have a physical table in our homes. But that's okay, because we will hopefully be invited to places. We might meet our friends at the pub. We might go out for a meal with people. We might have a picnic. Any time where we are connecting, particularly over food, that is an opportunity to maybe set some traditions set some habits. And I felt really challenged of like keeping those habits even if, even like no matter what guest is there. So we don't just do it for the people that might be used to it. But what if like the Saddler sang grace when like any randomer just turned up for food? That's pretty cool that that randomer can just be invited into this tradition of like, yeah, we're, we're, we're singing God's praises in a really cheesy Von Trapp way, but like, come and join us, it's good fun. Or like, we, we actually always pray at the start of our meal for people. Is it all right if we do it? Or like, we'll like, join in. Is there anybody you wanna pray for before we eat? That's pretty cool, isn't it? And it's like, super simple. And that is literally part one, and like point one. What habits, what traditions can we put in place when we eat together? If we got a table, what can we do? that are regular reminders of God's goodness. That means that our table isn't just something that passes us by. And those three areas that I just want to look at really is like prayer, presence, and reflection. How can we pray at the table? How can there be presence? How can we be present at the table? And how can we have the table as a place of reflection? So prayer, is it simply saying grace before the meal, thanking God for the meal on our tables? Maybe that's a simple habit that we just want to adopt and be like, yeah, great, I don't actually do that at the moment, so let's start doing that. 
if that's what you want to do, great. Um, maybe you want to read liturgy. Liturgy is like a, a crafted prayer that's already been written, basically. And um, maybe for that, I don't really know what to pray, pray, but a pre-written one I can just read along with and say amen to. Maybe there's like some books out there that you can get and have that as a bit of a regular rhythm. Um, maybe it's reading a psalm, bit of scripture before you eat. What does prayer look like at the table? Presence. Isaac's already mentioned it. How do we be present at the table? No phones at the table. Just don't have phones at the table. That's a great way of being present. Making sure that you plan in that extended time to be at the table. So that might mean adjusting schedules. But rather than it being a 10-minute, boom, get food in, go out. But how can the table become a sacred place of... Actually, we're going to spend an hour here in this time. We might not be eating the whole time, but we're going to have this designated time to eat, to be present with one another. Um, be at the table. If you have a table in your house, use it. Don't go to the sofa and watch a meal and watch Spring Watch because it is the perfect time once you're eating. And it's a bad habit to get into. Hello. And um, reflection. How can the table be a place of reflection? Is it a simple thing like the family that we visited where it's reflecting on our days? What's our highlights? I know some people here have done like high, highs, highlights and lowlights. Um, having that time of the day to reflect. How often do we get to bed at the end of the day? Put a... Uh, Head on the pillow and we're like, flipping heck, what happened today? Use those meal times at the table to be able to reflect, to maybe confess, to maybe repent of things. Why can't the table be like a place where we can confess to one another our sins, which makes it sound really deep, but it's just like, where have we strayed from God today? It's that whole thing of, um, I think it was in the reconciliation talk maybe recently about basically doing your business with people before you go and worship and bring your offering to the altar. Like what would it look like if we were to do our business or like confess some sins before we have our evening meal together? I don't know, we don't want to get religious about it, but like what would help you connect with God at the table? Um, so again, um, turn to the person next to you. There might be loads that you're like, oh, that sounds great. I don't want you to do loads. I just want you to pick one and commit to it and be like, actually, for the rest of this OH1 summer series until September, that's one thing that I can adopt. It might be every day. It might be once a week. There might be a set time that you want to do things. Um, yeah, chat to the person next to you and maybe just say, this is what I want to do. I want to give this a go. Because we may as well give it a go. that and keep each other accountable potentially and cheer each other on and be like, how's that going from week to week basis? So part two, I want to look at communion, which is the scripture that we read at the top. Um, we don't have loads of time for this. I got my times a bit muddled up, but um, we'll see where we get to with this second part. So um, it was, well, this Last Supper is the Passover. don't know if you noticed that, but it is a, a tradition in itself, the Passover, a festival that Jews would celebrate. 
And um, so Jesus is creating a new tradition within an old tradition. And he is, um, as Jesus always does, sort of brings a new meaning and brings things into fulfillment that have been for centuries. And um, we know this passage as the Last Supper is an outworking of this ancient tradition of communion. This ritual, it is a sort of like ritual and a bit of a rite. It's also known as the Eucharist. That simply means um, thanksgiving. Another name is Holy Communion. The Mass and the Lord's Supper, which I, I like the Lord's Supper. It's like the Lord our Jesus is the host and we're invited to his supper. So this is, we've talked about some traditions, habits, practices, but this is like the tradition of being at the table for us as Christians, isn't it? It's the number one. It's, it's the number one tradition in, here in the West, in the East, North and South. It's this bread and the wine that still reigns supreme as our practice as Jesus' believers and followers. It's been the same since then. We have not, it's not been changed. It's a, it's a tradition. Oh, sorry, what, what is this tradition but a simple meal of bread and wine around a table amongst friends as we read in that passage? It's this thing that elevates the, the humble table from just a flat pack item of furniture into this like masterpiece created by the master craftsman, the carpenter of Jesus. It transforms it. The communion that Jesus displays and offers to his disciples demonstrates to us that our tables become that place of connection, of that place of encounter, that place to be able to meet and remember Jesus. And um, the thing that I noticed about this passage, the, the two times that Jesus sends out his disciples with like clear instructions and clear like practical, right, I need you to do this, um, and it happens. First time it happens in Luke 19, if you remember when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus says, disciples, go up ahead of me and find the donkey that's tied up and basically make sure you get it. And then this time he's saying, right, go, go before me, go into the city, find the man with the jar of water and you'll find everything prepared for you and all that jazz. And it's really interesting. Why does Jesus do that? Why does he go out his way? Sometimes we can read the Gospels and it's like Jesus is just like floating around a little bit and being like, oh, that person needs help. I'll go there or I'm just walking here. Oh, and somebody needs healing there. So he turns direction. But this... Jesus has been really deliberate. I need you to do this. I need you to set this in place. First time, it's him being announced as king. And the second time, it's him breaking bread, pouring out wine, and saying, remember me. This is what it's about. Jesus clearly saying, this is the reason for why I'm here, as a king and then as a host at the table. I love those little things in Scripture. Of like, why does it happen, those two things? There's real significance in Jesus going out his way and being really um, planning ahead and sending his disciples to do it. The other patterns that, like, occur, so we see the, the Last Supper story here, but there are other times in Scripture that we, we see this, particularly with um, bread and wine. 
first one we actually find in Genesis 14. I only came across this like maybe a couple of years ago. It's absolutely wild. I've never noticed this before. So it's Genesis 14, um, verses 17 to 20. So Genesis, you know, first book in the Bible, creation, Abraham, early days. And then you've got this little story that happens in Genesis 14, 17 to 20. It says, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedolo... Damn it. Sorry, after... I practiced this. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied uh, with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he, he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And there's a little bit more, but that's basically it. So there's this tiny bit in Genesis where um, Melchizedek, this priest, by this point in Genesis, the priesthood hadn't even been made. So what, that's interesting. I mean... I'm, this isn't a talk on that, but I'm just getting excited about like cool scripture stuff. But Melchizedek comes with bread and wine, and he's called the priest most high. And then basically read Hebrews to sort of make a little bit of sense of that. And then you've got um, the Last Supper that we've just read. Then we've got Luke, um, the end of Luke. Um, Jesus returned on the road to Emmaus. If you remember Rich Wilson, he read this passage out right at the start of the series. Right at the end, when Jesus is with these disciples on this road, um, it says, Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus recognized them. Sorry, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Again, this wonderful moment of breaking bread. I bet they had wine at the table as well. And it was at that moment they were like, Oh man, this is Jesus. And then you got, not bread this time, but John 21, again, when Jesus returns. I don't know if you know the story, but um, disciples have gone out fishing. And then there's a guy on the shore being like, hey, come to shore. Or no, go out and fish. And then they have the miracle catch. And they're like, flipping heck, it's Jesus. They get to the shore and Jesus is there just cooking at breakfast on the beach around food. And just again, that sort of habit, this little habit that Jesus has got, a bit of a calling card of bread, wine, communion, fish on a beach, a bit different, but like recognizing Jesus around the table. That's how the disciples did it. Especially when he returned, it was when he broke the bread that they recognized him. Do we recognize Jesus at our tables? Do we break bread? Do we drink wine? Do we take communion? Do we recognize or remember Jesus? Um, so, it's at the table that we remember the glory and majesty of God and his sovereignty and his bigness and his awesomeness. The bread and wine, this amazing symbol, probably more than a symbol, um, is recognized across all languages. It doesn't really need to be translated. We know what it means. All cultures recognize this. 
Um, it doesn't get lost in the historical and cultural context. It, it gets enhanced, but we get to join in with it without actually being there at the time. Um, and it's the gospel, and it's instantly recognizable for us. And the, the church can disagree all it likes of what sort of form this takes, whether it's a loaf, whether it's a wafer, whether it's cranberry juice, whether it's wine, whether it's in a really solemn place or a really celebratory place. Um, but one thing the church cannot and must not argue over is, is, is its place as a sacrament. And this word sacrament is an interesting one that I've been looking at a, a bit this week. And um, maybe in our tradition of church, of being a bit more charismatic from the new church movement, of being a pioneer church, we don't really use the word sacrament loads um, or a great deal. And um, in the Protestant church, there's only there's two sacraments. One is the Holy Communion, and the other is baptism. Our Catholic friends, they've got seven sacraments. And this word, it's, it might be, sound like a bit fancy and a bit like, ooh, that's a bit like religious-y. Um, but it's a great word. It's a brilliant word. So we mustn't associate sacraments, these sacred moments, um, with things that they they are not, or they don't have to be, um, in ceremony or, or piousness, and woe is me. Um, this feeling maybe of, of guilt and shame that might come up when we take communion. I don't know what people's experiences have been. Um, I don't think we do it enough um, as OH1, as Open Heaven. But that's all right. I think that can change. Um, and we, we must sort of learn and relearn how to do this practice and sort of retake this Holy Communion, this um, the Lord's Supper, this sacrament, this sacred moment. That isn't just a symbol, but it's a command from Jesus. Um, sorry, I'm a bit all over the place here. I've lost my, my spot. So, back to the passage I want to look at. It's really interesting how Jesus does this, what words he uses in the scriptures. So if you get that passage open again, um, in Luke 22, particularly verse, probably 20, I think it is. So what does actually Jesus do at the Last Supper? So verse 19, actually, I want to look at particularly. So 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So what does Jesus do? He, he took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it. He blessed the bread. He gave the bread, and he said, do it. Do this. He took, he blessed it, he gave it, and he said, do it. Do this to remember me. Do this to remember who I am, what I'm going to do, what I have done. Do it. <laughs> he took, he blessed it, he gave it, said, do it. So what must we do in return? We must 
take it and eat it and do it. Jesus took it, blessed it, gave it, said, do this. So we must take it, eat it, and do it, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what he has done, who he is, what he is doing, and remember the gospel. Um... How are we doing for time? Six o'clock. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I shouldn't have split communion into like two parts. It's quite a big one, isn't it? Okay. That's all right, isn't it? I want to quickly just say about when Jesus talks about the new covenant <laughs> do take a comfort break if you need one <laughs> I won't need much longer oh what verse is that sorry gang mm yes verse 20 straight after so he said do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. Earlier in verse 16, sorry, for I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This is a cool bit. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's talking about this bread. I mean, if you flick a few pages, he does it again. <laughs> he does it again with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus says, I will not do this until the fulfillment. Maybe not the fulfill fulfillment when he does it with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. But there's this fulfillment. That promise in like Psalm 23. I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. Jesus partakes in the Last Supper in the presence of his enemy, of Judas, who betrays him. And he comes again and he breaks it and saying, I'm coming in my fulfillment. It's not a, a historical Jesus that we remember of somebody in some books in the past, but we remember a Jesus who rose again and is coming to fulfill and is fulfilling and is redeeming. And is constantly breaking his body, is constantly pouring out his blood, that we might remember him and partake with him. So what do we remember of Jesus when we take communion? I think that's whatever we want to, whatever we need to, whether it's his majesty, whether it's his faithfulness to us, whether it's his mercy, his gentleness, his power, his promise of his glorious return, remembering that is our Jesus, that is the Jesus, remembering the, the works that he's done in our lives, the works that he has promised that he'll do in our lives. What do we remember when we eat the bread, drink the wine? What comes to our minds? What comes to our hearts? 
maybe that's one of the traditions and habits that we want to start doing at our tables. Um, I feel like we are scratching the surface a little bit with communion. So I feel like we need to do this every week, actually, um, during the summer to sort of get better at it. But I think it's all right saying that we're, this is an important practice that we don't always practice. So we must improve. So let's do it regularly. Let's do it every week. So the response is communion. And we'll take it together.